This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Set me free the chains me. Is out there me? Set me free. Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, Proclaim liberty to captives and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. I'm glad to have you along this week. And I'm going to begin by reading an excerpt from a couple articles. The first one just made me so mad, I wanted to like, bust my computer or something. And this article just came out a couple days ago. It said, Sunday Times contributor advocates for porn for children. And the quote is, someone needs to create pornography for children. Hear me out, wrote Gill. This guy has written for a variety of outlets from the Sunday Times Magazine, Daily Mail, Standard, Gentleman's Quarterly, and others. And his reasoning is, We don't want kids exposed to hardcore pornography, so we need to give them the softcore porn to get them started at an early age, and then they can graduate to the deviant stuff. And do you know how sick and twisted that is? And yet pornography has grabbed our youth. And to illustrate that, another article was just posted, and I'm going to read it. And... This is a guy who wrote a book called The Lost Boys, and he writes, What's wrong with boys? Returning to Australia in 2010 after serving 12 years in East Africa in the mission field, I noticed something was wrong with boys and young men in the church, in youth groups and Christian schools from good Christian families. I was seeing a lack of interest in things of God, a veneer of Christianity where they're faking it, along with depression, anxiety, and promiscuity. Teen gym junkies were increasingly obsessed over their muscles and body image. More were turning to alcohol and drugs and had far less drive and energy. Young men by the droves are walking away from the Christian faith, and I don't want this to happen to our sons. Initially, I thought it was simply the prevailing culture in general, and if so, how could one do much about it? But it wasn't until years later when I began to interview young men for my book that I was to discover what that significant driver was. It was pornography, access to smartphones, school-issued iPads, and laptops. Even the most hardcore deviant pornography was being brought right into the homes of families 24 hours a day, seven days a week, without their parents' knowledge. So this show, we're going to go into what we need to do with our youth because we are losing our youth. And I welcome back Greg Reed. Greg is a minister and former private investigator. He's trained over 250 criminal justice classes on occult crimes and crimes against children. He's a survival of ritual and sexual abuse at a young age and has written over 12 books. He is the director of Youth Fire Ministries. And Greg, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be back with you. So, Greg, what are you seeing with youth these days? What, what's going on in the, in the culture? 
Oh, gosh, where do we start? Um, first of all, with rare exceptions, and I know there are exceptions, I'm seeing youth ministry across the country kind of flatlining, and because we built most of what we've been doing for the last, I think, 15, almost 20 years on sort of the whole seeker-friendly, purpose-driven idea that if you do these certain things, that it'll attract the youth, it'll keep the youth, and it's failed, utterly failed, um, because we've moved farther and away from biblical truth and from the things that raise strong Christian kids, and we failed to, first of all, understand the world that they're living in, uh, and we shield them and we say, well, you know, kids can't handle much, you know, so we don't want to bring a lot of heavy stuff into the youth group, and it's like, do you know where they where they are? Do you know what they're doing out there? Because clearly we don't understand that, and so we have a generation of kids that are really being disconnected from from history, spiritually and naturally too, and they're really becoming almost like a. And I say this more of a lot of the Christian youth leaders that are kind of going independent. It's kind of like the movie Lord of the Flies, where a group of kids was on middle school boys was on a flight with their teachers the plane crashes the adults are killed and the kids have to learn figure out what to do and within a short period of time they become almost animalistic and it's a powerful powerful picture of where we're headed unless god intervenes with our generation so you're basically saying that kids are on their own so why are parents checked out they're busy. They, you know, they're, they've got their own lives, their own things. I think we're so distracted. I think Satan's real uh, delusion of the age has been distraction by social media, by TikTok, by jobs, by the cares of this world, uh, by just being what we used to call creasters, which are people that go to church only on Christmas and Easter. Mm. And it's, it's, not, it's not a daily thing. And I think the emasculation of men for the last couple of generations and the humiliation of men and the putting them in a place of uh, where they're just kind of look like bumbling idiots on TV and in the media, we have robbed fathers of the, the power uh, that God has invested in them to raise sons and daughters in the Lord with a strength that can only come from a father. The mothers obviously play uh, a, an equal and powerful role in a different way, but we have kind of cut off men from their job, and they've kind of, just by default, just kind of checked out. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. And then when you add in that a lot of Christian dads, as we know from people who come to us for help, are in, ensnared in sin and pornography themselves, and they're pretty much crippled, aren't they? They are, and I've, I've had a lot of time to think about, and I'm still thinking about this, because the way all this took place in the last couple of decades has been so breathtaking and frightening how it's happened. But, uh, you know, one of the things that occurred to me through all this with the pornographic thing is that I, I read a report, uh, and I can't remember where it is, I've got it somewhere on file, but somebody did a study and found out that the the dropping off point for most Christian kids was where they 
had their first sexual experience outside of marriage. And that is the point where they had to make a spiritual decision as to whether they were going to walk in God's ways or whether they had kind of gotten the drug into their system of premarital sex and decided they wanted that and they were willing to abandon the truth of God's word uh, to have that. And I've certainly seen that played out from generation to generation. And obviously, pornography has done a very, very good job of lowering all the bars so the kids could easily cross that line. Well, and I saw one survey recently where I think it was half of Christian youth are saying there's no problem with sex outside of marriage these days. Well, and that's why the, the progressive church has, has been uh, having such a successful time, because they don't have any problem with that concept. You know, they just bend the rules as they want to make them up, and they, you know, think the Word of God has to bend to the culture, and so, you know, a, a lot of uh, progressive churches are really uh, not objecting to that idea, and I was just reading something that this actually started uh, to, to overseas, I think, in some ways, years ago, uh, back in around 2004, I think, when uh, there was a couple of books that were written. When there was like a, a new Bible that they called Good as New, which was just an absolute total abomination. Uh, but it was literally changing the Word of God and having it say things like, you know, Paul said, the important thing is, is that you find a partner uh, to have sex with yeah. uh, so that you're not frustrated. And, and at the time I read it, and I thought, is anybody really comfortable with this at all? And I realized that the concepts, uh, maybe not the words, but the concepts have sunk deeply into the Western churches, a lot of them. And from what you're seeing uh, from your side, are you seeing a lot of youth fade, crumble, walk away? Or what is your perspective? What is the, the consequences, the results of all this? I, I, at least in the last 20 years, uh, I've seen about 80% of church-going kids walk away. 80%? Yeah. And that's from personal observation as a youth pastor and, and, and dealing with uh, youth across the country. Uh, and, and, and part of the reason, Mike, is we just, we don't understand that if we're going to have youth groups, then our primary goal should be to fortify and strengthen them, and put a spine in them, because once they leave the setting, the safe shelter of youth group, and get to the universities, they're going to tear them to shreds. I mean, our local university has professors just packed in there that literally salivate when a Christian kid comes into their class, and they will point them out, and they will expose them, and humiliate them, and 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 completely put them in a place of, of shame. And the kids are not equipped to stand up against that kind of lie. Well, they're not even being equipped on how to say no to pornography. <laughs> right. And that's, uh, you know, we have to start, we have to address all of those things. I know there's some reluctance on some parents' part because they think, well, you know, I don't want my kids exposed to this without realizing uh, chances are very strong. They're already far more exposed to it than you wish that they were. And so I think the dynamic of youth 
uh, ministry has to change where we are hitting it head on, that we're uh, talking in a way that they understand without compromising, but that we are going to hit the, the hard issues. And, you know, I mean, everything has changed so much. I was talking to uh, uh, the, the young man that took took my position as youth pastor when I when I uh, moved on from my last uh, assignment, and he said that you know when he was in youth group, he said uh, the main question his friends asked when they said he said hey come to youth group and the the one question the guys asked was are there girls there? Of course he said yeah there's girls. The number one question now is well how does your church feel about LGBTQ and transgendered? That, that's a sea change. That's a major change, and that shows that an entire generation has been bent to think a certain way that is the total opposite to the teaching of the Word of God. And so we're already at a disadvantage, uh, but if we can start to realize we can set up a, a base of operations spiritually to start to train kids to think biblically and to walk biblically and act biblically, uh, then we have a chance of injecting them into their real-world setting so that they can make a difference. Mm. Talk about spiritual warfare and youth and what that looks like and what is not happening and what how we can equip them. Well, the, it's not even talked about. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've been around long enough to remember back in the days, the fire by night and, the you know, Carmen and some of the teachings on spiritual warfare that were happening. Some of it was goofy, but a lot of it was necessary and needed and powerful, and actually raised up a lot of kids from that to understand that they are in a battle. And I see more clearly than ever as we, re- as we approach the second coming of Jesus that the battle is, is fierce. As a songwriter friend of mine wrote one time, he says, the battle grows savage. He told us it would that Christ is the victor, must be understood. So rather than set kids out as lambs to the slaughter, we need to set them out as lions that are ready to stand against the darkness and proclaim truth. And that's the battle. The battle of spiritual warfare right now is the battle of truth versus lies. And there's a generation after generation that's been fed just innumerable deceptions and lies through the media, primarily uh, social media, but just before social media, it was through uh, television, movies, whatever. And so generations have been raised to think a certain way, uh, to talk a certain way. And that's why the first battle, I just did a podcast on this called Battle for the Mind, because we have to understand the warfare, uh, according to, I think, Romans is, uh, don't be, Romans 1 is, uh, 12.1, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, of course, the word transformed is metamorpho, which is a complete change of everything. It's not just changing your mind, it's having your mind completely altered uh, to a, another way of thinking that's foreign to the way you did before you came to Christ. That takes work, that takes time, that takes commitment to the Word of God. And one of the ways I think we failed in spiritual warfare is we've gotten kids in a setting where we give them a little game, a few snacks, um, uh, some worship music, all that's okay, but then we give them a little Jesus snack at the end of the night, 
or a cute little, you know, Jesus bromide meme, you know, like, you're okay, God's going to take care of you. You know, that may be true, but that's not how you raise warriors. Mm. You know, that that's like seeing a battle coming across, you know, into your county, and you tell people, it's okay, you're going to be fine when on the other side of the wall there's people with guns. Obviously, they're not prepared for what's going to come, so they're just going to fold when it happens. Well, in the spiritual sense, we're not talking about physical guns, obviously, but in the spiritual warfare, the enemy is at the gate, and he's coming for our kids. And I don't say that to be alarmist, I'm just saying the truth. We need to prepare the kids through a solid teaching of the Word of God and praying that God puts in their heart uh, a hunger for that Word, because it's that Word that's going to help them fight the battle and defeat the enemy's lives. Well, what you said about 80% of youth walking away from the faith and with um, their first sexual experience outside of marriage being a catalyst, that's terrifying to me, and it seems like there should be a sense of urgency, like we got to talk about, we got to open this up quickly because people are being, you know, we're losing them. And and I think that's a it's a call, and I pray that somebody at some point will hear this call as a youth pastor or a youth leader somewhere in the country that says, you know what, I'm going to sponsor this conference. I'm going to get the men of God together that are doing youth ministry and the women of God that are working with the kids, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to lock ourselves away for a week, and we're going to get honest, and we're going to start from, start from scratch and say, Lord, what do we need to do to redeem this generation? We've been given a tremendous uh, crisis in the last couple of years, as, as we all know, and obviously we're still in it. But the point is, is that we have also been given an opportunity to use that crisis to pull people together, particularly men of God and pastors, to cry out to God for his mercy and for his help and all of that. I mean, I've seen this coming for my whole life. There would be a time when the church was either going to go out with a whimper or we're getting, we were going to be a blazing comet that we're going to just blaze the truth across the skies before Jesus uh, took us home. And I think we're at that turning point where unless somebody starts to hear the call and we stop the nonsense with the conferences where we just pat each other on the back and make each other feel good about ourselves, and we have some face time with the carpet before Jesus to cry out for this generation— uh, I, I just have a concern that we're not going to win this battle. Forty years ago, Leonard Ravenhill said if he could have his way, he would have all the pastors together, shut them up in a room, and spend a whole week doing nothing but prayer. And I agree. I guess I must have read that somewhere. Yeah, that's a, no, that's exactly right, because we have to suspend business as usual somehow. You know, we can't—right now I see a lot of people that are— and it's a human idea that we're kind of whistling in the dark and just waiting for everything to go away. But I think we're at a tipping point. I was talking to my youth last night in our Bible study, and I said, I think we're at a tipping point where we can no longer, you know, count on sitting back and doing nothing. We were reading in Ephesians where it says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And he didn't say you were once in darkness. He says you were darkness. Because the nature of sin 
can can we get a little? Let me get a little deeper if I can here. This is a tough concept, and I, I'm I'm not trying to offend anybody, but the scriptures can be offensive. And one of the things that I learned in in my studies of the Book of Romans was a very jarring verse uh, that sounded kind of mysterious at first. It was in uh, the last part of Romans, Romans seven. The last verse says. Paul says, who should deliver me from the body of this death? What a strange phrase, until I found out that there was actually a Roman torture Mm. uh, punishment for execution, where if somebody in certain circumstances murdered somebody, that they were, get ready for this, they were tied to the corpse of the person that they murdered and put out in the middle of nowhere until that person's corpse rotted into the person who committed the crime, and they died as a result. And Paul was saying, that is sin. Mm. It rots into everything. At first, it's something external, then we take it into our heart, and then we become the sin. We become the darkness. That's why Ephesians says, you were once darkness. It was your identity. And so he says, but now you are light in the Lord. And if that's true, then the church needs to stop hiding in church, in the darkness, hoping all this goes away. We have to know the times that we're in and say, we have to more than ever be the light of Jesus Christ and speak truth to the lies and to rise up. And if we can't do that as pastors and youth pastors, if we're not willing to take the bold steps, do we have, do the kids have anybody to look to, for examples? I don't think so. Yeah, we're talking about the con- in the context of youth, but there's a lot of adults who need what we're t- what we're talking about too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I love reading some of Leonard Ravenhill's stuff, and there's always a sense of urgency in his books. Like we cannot, and this was forty and fifty years ago. There was always a sense of urgency, and there's also. What you're getting to here, there's got to be a very strong sense that sin is destroying lives and destroying people, and we can't play games anymore. Well, as one writer said, I think it was Billy Sunday, said if we treat sin like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake, it's going to kill us. And my prayer is always for myself, and I've taught this to a lot of people, go to God and say, Lord, help me to see this sin the way that you see it. Because Mm -hmm. sin by its nature is deceptive. And I've thought about this, too, in terms of uh, pornography and how it affects us. What it robs people of is is intimacy and empathy. And it goes along with, I think, Matthew 24 that says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And pornography has been a huge tool because you eventually become numb to real things and real relationships. And you're just addicted to things that aren't real, and that's the only thing that excites you. It's obviously, it's a powerful drug. And we do have to find a way to to stop it. Uh, You know, I know everybody's used this, but I think it's important. I think it's, uh, forgive me if I don't get it right, I think it's the book of Job that says, you know, God is too, I will put set no impure thing before my eyes. I probably got the reference wrong as far as where it's at. But I used to write those out on cards and give it to our youth and say, put this on your computer. Make sure it's right there. So every time you open your computer, 
you're seeing that scripture that says, I will put no uh, evil thing before my eyes, no unclean thing before my eyes. And we have to be that diligent, but it starts with seeing sin the way that God sees it, because he knows that it will destroy us while we just kind of become so numb that we're comfortable with it. we got a minute left, so take 30 seconds, Greg, and talk to a teenager who's listening right now. You know, if, if there are teenagers listening, I just want to tell you, you know what, you can be the generation that makes a difference. You can be the Daniel generation that decides you're not going to partake in the things of the world. You can be a spiritual hero in this generation. You can be the one that rises up and said, enough of the world. You can be the one that's going to be written in the annals of eternity that made you different because you decided to take Jesus seriously, be done with what everybody else is doing, and blaze a trail for your friends and your family to follow. Thank you, Greg, and thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Mike. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.